0: Already, what is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast, and I have a very, very special guest today, my former cross-country and track coach from college. This is Coach Paul Orchard. How you doing today, Coach? Doing well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, every time I get back home to Cedarville, I try to, try to come in and see you, so... Um, Like you mentioned, you know, before we started recording, it it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that I was sitting in your office, you know, catching up. But um, a lot has happened since (laughs) since I was last home uh, chatting with you. So um, if you will, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got to the point where, you know, you were you were you're coaching at Cedarville.
1: Well, wow, let's go back a ways. And, uh, you know, when I was young, grew up playing a lot of sports. But, uh, you know, unlike you, I was not a good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was small for my size. And uh, probably in eighth grade, I went out for uh, junior high track. Mm. We were living in Germany. My dad was in the Air Force. And so we traveled around a lot. I played youth league football when I was fifth and sixth grade, played basketball and like fifth, sixth grade, those kind of things, baseball, typical things that back in that era, somebody my age would have done and my dad supported that. And so fast forward, it was about the mid 70s, we're in Germany and uh, football at that point was out of the question with my size basketball, you weren't gonna make the team and so track, I knew my dad had run, and I thought, I'll run track. And so I did the two longest events that they had back in that time, and that would have been the 800 and the 400. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs>
0: Real long distance.
1: <laughs> and I joke with <laughs> people. I say, you know, the 400, then was when you're in eighth grade, it's a sit back and kick. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the very end. Yeah, they they would line us up. I don't know, they'd put like twenty on the track and they'd line you up and uh fire the gun and you know <laughs> the, the good people would take off and the rest of us would just kinda like I said, sit back and with two hundred to go, try and the race starts. Make, that's right, make up whatever ground we could. So uh, beautiful. I had a I had a high school track coach at that time that he did a good job recruiting. He was from Oregon originally. Wayne Saban was his name. And, and uh, I owe all my running to him at this point because he took an interest in a guy that, like I said, really didn't have any any talent. And uh, he was doing his job recruiting, trying to get his high school team set for the next year. And so he he said, hey, would you want to come out and run cross country next year? And I said, yeah, why not? You know, and, and so that's kind of how my running career started. Um Going into that freshman year, we were on an army base at the time, Kaiser Slaughter, and we used the army track. And he had a mileage chart, pre-internet days, obviously, back in the Mm mid-70s. And we would go down to the the base gym, preferably once a week, and you'd log your mileage on this chart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was all proud of myself. I might have got in 15, 20 miles on a week. And I was ready to go down and log in, and I'm like, "Oh my word! These upperclassmen, look what they're doing, man! <laughs> Hitting some big so, numbers." Oh yeah, you know, just and so yeah, you know, I started running a uh, freshman year cross country, and I was on the JV team for the most part. Aspirations of making varsity, but it it just never happened. And but I had fun. I liked it. Uh, season ended and I had my older brother was, was going out for wrestling and they said hey you ought to come out for wrestling so I thought hey why not I'm 98 pounds I don't even have to <laughs> cut weight you know I can just <laughs> go right on in and, and there were like six You're good guys to go. yeah there were, there were six guys at 98 and one oh, of them man. was like a senior I'm like dude how are you a senior at 98 well he was cutting weight you know, the rest oh, of us were just man. no skill, no strength or anything else. And I was somewhere around third or fourth man going into the Christmas break. And I thought, I'm not going to wrestle, you know, thought, I'm just not going to make the team, not, or mm-hmm. not be on the team, but I'm not ever going to get a chance to wrestle. And so I mm-hmm. started just running again. I thought I'll start getting ready for track. Mm. And that's kind of where things just led me to, to focus on track and, um, I had a, like I said, I had, my high school coach was also my science teacher, mm. and so I remember going into track season, uh, we used to have a lot of time in the science class where we'd have, like, individual or small group projects we were working on, and one day he called my name, he said, hey, would you come up here to the front for a minute? And you know what that's like in high school, I'd like, ooh, you know, you're in trouble, what'd you do? <laughs> And so I got up there, and I'm a little bit nervous myself, and he sits me down, and my race was the 3,200. And so he looks at me, and he says, you know, we're talking quietly. We don't want the whole class to hear. He says, well, what kind of time do you want to run this weekend? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, let's, let's map this out. You know, let's talk about what it looks like. <laughs> and I think we spent about 20 minutes going over the splits that I was <laughs> to hit. And this became what we think. That's awesome. <laughs> <That'd be a laughs>
0: great way to spend time in science class.
1: Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, every week he'd call me up there. And, uh, and I think my freshman year I ended up running like 1026 for two miles. Wow. Which, you know, pretty happy, with, really that. Yeah, pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah, that. And, um, you know going into my sophomore year he was an oregon guy and he was a big Lydia guy back at that era arthur lidiard was was kind of the king of of coaching at that point point. and so the whole goal was you know you got to do more mileage you just got to put a lot of mileage in mm-hmm. and it was during that time during the summer prior to my sophomore year that uh i started doing what i thought was a lot more mileage. And I would get up in the morning and I had some other people that we talked about doing morning runs and we'd occasionally get together a lot of times more often than not, these guys bailed on me and I ended up doing <laughs> it alone. But, you know, looking mm-hmm. back, that was, that was kind of a plus when I look at it. I think, you know, I tell everybody, hey, you got to be able to do it alone. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to get yourself out and motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. And so going into that year cross country, most of that team previously had either graduated or, or being military families, had left. And so we really didn't have any idea who was coming back on the team. Mm-hmm. And as fate would have it, all that mileage paid off for me, and I was our number one cross runner. Wow. And that year going into to cross, they had actually moved. Um, in Germany, you had all these American high schools that were – situated where the military bases were and i don't know maybe eight nine ten of them something like that and they had actually moved the distance to cross up to four miles Mm -hmm. that was kind of in uh you know you look back at college cross country at one point was four miles and so i think there were some coaches that were like we're going to try and get these guys ready to move on to college so Mm -hmm. that year we moved to four miles which for me you know being a small guy like i said just over 100 pounds at that point Uh, The longer the race, the better it was for me. All my Mm -hmm. training was geared to that. And so I had a decent bit of success that year as a sophomore. And then going into track that year, uh, ended up running a 946, my last race there, uh, at the Germany finals. All the high schools from the different uh, bases got together and had a Germany final. I think I was Mm -hmm. fourth place at at 946. Wow. And so that's... uh, And we just loved running. We would Mm -hmm. even road races, German Volkslofts, on days that we had free weekends. We'd go Uh and do stuff. We just loved to run. By that point, my dad had got into running. He had ran in high school, and, and we got him to quit smoking, and he was back into running. So we were doing a lot of running together and just looking to do anything we could do. And at the end of my sophomore year, we ended up moving back to Michigan where my dad was originally from, and he was moving to a base where he was going to finish out six months and then retire from the air force. So a whole new transition for us. Um, Everything was new, you know, all the, everything literally was new moving back. And, uh, we got back to the States and we just started doing a lot of road races right away. There were a lot of things going on. I mean, we didn't think twice about 10 mile road races. Um, (laughs) Well, again, funny story, reflecting back on my high school coach, when I came out for cross country as a freshman, like I said, this guy was a Lydiard fan. He didn't think twice about sending us on a 10-mile run. And there were times during cross country, me and a couple other freshmen were five miles out walking along, wondering when we were ever going to get back to camp, back to the gym. And, <laughs> and More of that time was spent walking, but... Again, it was a good thing looking back and, you mm-hmm. know, we had in this mindset that we needed to do long runs. Mm-hmm. And, and that second year when I was a sophomore, my dad and I, every Sunday, we would have one race a week on a Saturday. And every Sunday we'd come back from church. And my dad and I would go out for a 12 or 13 mile run. So that that's kind wow. of where I got my mindset of, you know, what did it take to, to see any kind of success? Well, when I was doing mileage, I was seeing success. I was I was starting to get better. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that just kind of continued through high school. I went two more years uh, in Michigan, a guy that was a year ahead of me when we were in Germany. uh, I'd stayed in contact with him and he went to Taylor University. And so as a result of of Bob Engel, I went to Taylor, put in four and a half years there, Uh, physical education major, wanted to be able to coach at high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, graduated in December, so just basically substitute taught for a semester, got a job in northern Indiana that next year, teaching and coaching at at Central Noble uh, High School and Junior High. And uh, during that time, realized, liked what I was doing coaching, just wasn't sure I wanted to keep doing it as far as the teaching was concerned. And a good friend of mine, Jay Redding, had just finished up grad school at Indiana mentioned that uh if i wanted i could get a grad assistantship so i applied to iu got accepted for a teaching grad assistantship talked with sam bell sam said i could help out as a volunteer with track but during that time i'd also found out miami was looking for a grad assistant Mm. uh went had an interview with rich cerrone rich ended up offered me the position and i took that position and uh you know, look at where I am today, wouldn't, wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for Rich Cerrone. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get my master's degree at Miami, stuck around an extra year while I was waiting for something to materialize. Um, eventually ended up getting a part-time job at the University of Akron for six years. Um, during that end of that fifth year, I met my wife, Wendy. We got married over the summer, finished another year at Akron. And lo and behold, I um, was offered a job at Cedarville that next over that summer and that that was the fall of 1993 that we came in and it's been now just finished 27 years here wow and the rest is history the rest is history came in as the the head men's and women's track coach Elvin King was the men's and women's cross-country coach nice so he was my assistant during track for 10 years and then he gave up the men's cross-country By that point, Jeff Bolander had come in as our assistant, and uh, Pete Reese said, you've got a choice, you can stay out as head track coach or you can take over men's cross country. Mm -hmm. And I looked at Pete, I said, Pete, I'm a distance guy. I said, I love what I've done with track. I said, but I'm a distance guy. I wanna work Mm -hmm. in the distance runners. And it's been the most fun of my life since I took over cross country. That's all I can say. Well, I uh, I know
0: I had an awesome time, and I did not enjoy. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of mileage. Like, uh, I think <laughs> I think you were well aware that uh, there were some of us on the team who who um, were a little less thrilled about high mileage. But like doing doing the mileage was not the highlight for me. But being on the team was absolutely a blast and, and I loved it. And um yeah. Cross country and track were were both incredible. So um and I know a lot of guys who would agree. In fact, a lot, I wouldn't say a lot, a few guys I've I've had as guests on the podcast. So I've already had um Judd Bricker and uh, Justin Herbert, who you know were both teammates and, uh, and athletes of yours. So, um, yeah, I know they all loved it too. So yeah. So awesome. Let's jump into, um, a little bit of, I guess your coaching philosophy. Um, so what's, what's really interesting is those two guys, Justin and Judd, um, personality wise, um, Interests outside of running, um, maturity level, uh, professional goals, academic goals, couldn't couldn't be uh, very opposite ends of the spectrum, let's say, right? <laughs> like especially when you contrast that to say someone like me, like we're all so different. So how do you go about coaching a group of athletes who are, at least in theory, they're all focused on the same Uh, team goal or, or like everybody wants to run faster. Everybody wants to get better. But in college, you've got freshmen coming in who are basically kids. And then you've got seniors who may already be married and have jobs and careers lined up. Like, how do you get everyone to gel together? How do you coach a group of people who can be so vastly different in, in so many different variables?
1: Well, that's, that's probably the fun of it. Uh, getting to know everybody and and understanding a little bit about them. Certainly, you know, as I remember back to your era, you were not going to come in and do 80 miles a week as a freshman. And I think you have to realize (laughs) that. You have to realize everybody's a little bit different, but you Mm -hmm. take where they're at and you try and help them understand what they need to do to get better. And I think if, if you look at it and say, my goal as a coach is to help you get better. It's not necessarily about my way of doing things. And, and if you don't do it my way, then hit the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look when I got started running, I didn't know any better. And I just put my trust in the coach. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. if this guy's got us doing 70 miles a week, then that must be what, what we have to do. And so mm-hmm. from my perspective, that's what was already ingrained in me but I've realized over the years that that some people aren't coming from that. And you've Mm -hmm. got to take them where they're at and you've got to help them realize, you know, what does it take to be the best runner that you can be and Mm -hmm. realize everybody's not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. You know, you had some really good races in five miles, but we had to realize that it wasn't going to be doing 80 miles a week. (laughs) And that, you know, there, there was nothing sacred about the mileage But we had to find what worked for you. And that's that's the challenge with everybody every year. You know, I look at the the people we've had. You know, we had a a group of guys, you know, Judd's brother, Matt, Mm -hmm. basically changed my whole perspective of coaching. Yeah. And my mindset was what helped me when I was in high school. And that was those 70 mile weeks, which to me seemed like a lot. And it Mm -hmm. was at that time. And for a lot of people, that would be a lot. But when when Matt was doing 120 miles a week, (laughs) you know, that's a game changer in terms of refocusing and and readjusting your perspective. And we told everyone else, we said, you know, it works for him. Yep. And I think a lot of you would see a benefit by doing more. But I'm not saying you got to do 120 miles a week. And what that led to was a group of guys in that 2011-12 era that started doing anywhere from 80 to 100 miles a week. Mm -hmm. And for them, that made all the difference. Yeah. We had guys that were running 28 minutes for five miles suddenly running mid-25s. Wow. Yeah. And as much as I would like to see that, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everybody. I mean, there, there's been, you know, call it collateral damage or whatever along the way. You mm-hmm. know, we had one year there in 2012, where we had over 10 people that were hitting hundred miles a week. Mm-hmm. And, and we had all 10 of those guys running mid 25s. And somebody said, well, who are you going to pick to be your top seven? And I said, <laughs> we'll worry about that when the time comes. Well, mm-hmm. when the time came, we had, basically seven runners left that were standing pretty much.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and some of that, we got hurt maybe from the mileage. We had misfortune along the way. Jacob Doobie did a morning run and tripped over a curve and, and busted his kneecap. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that was nothing as far as the mileage was concerned. But things happened along the way. And But everybody was so focused mm-hmm. on, on being the best they could. And they were looking at what everyone else was doing. Right. They weren't necessarily saying, well, you know, I'm going to try and beat Brooker. That wasn't even on their radar. Yeah. But they're like, I can beat these other guys and I want to be one of the top seven. Mm-hmm. But but it took some time. And, you know, I you had Joe Nemec on recently, and I'm yep. humbled, humbled to think that I could even remotely follow up from, from what he did on. <laughs> and Joe was one of those guys that, again, it took Joe a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe had got up to 90 miles a week by his senior year, but going into the marathon trials and even going into Chicago, he was only doing 70 miles a week
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you, you've got to look at what works for each person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that idea reminds me of, um, of the saying that, you know, like there, there's this dichotomy, right. Of, of, do you focus on quality? or do you focus on quantity and from from my perspective coming out of high school when my senior year maybe I was averaging 25 miles a week maybe maybe like on the a go away, right yes yeah like it was just uh the workouts on the track were intense and um and I loved them and when I you know when the workout was over my coach would would say all right you know that's it that's it for today and um you know i'd say hey it was to get that little extra in when it came to the quote-unquote quality workouts but when it came to the long stuff like shoot if i had a four mile run like that was a long run for me (laughs) five miles whew what are we talking about here? Like, this is crazy. Um, uh, I'm racing a 5k. Why would I need to run five miles? That's insane. Um, so that, that whole idea of, you know, you focus on the quality or you focus on the quantity. And then, um, I heard, a, a really funny, I guess saying or, or quote, I, I don't even remember who said it or, or what it was in regards to. It may have been, um, it may have been in a research uh, methods or a statistics class in grad school. I think somebody said um, quantity has a quality all of its own. And when I heard that, that I was like, oh, okay. So, like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, you can take a guy, like, who, you know, he, he likes doing the track workout. He likes doing the fast stuff. But he's going to get the most improvement personally. I'm just hitting the miles. He's got to get that mileage. And so he saw these huge benefits when he was running, you know, 80, 90, 100 plus miles a week during cross country when I was maxing out at 65. Like if I did more than that, the, my wheels were going to fall off. Right. So um, it, it was kind of right around that point when I got to understand that, you know, cross country runners aren't cookie cutters, like, or you can't just, there's no one size fits all approach to this. So, um, looking back, I really appreciate that. Um, you didn't force everybody to do the same thing. Like I got, I got the most improvement when I was training with, um, uh, with Daniel Roberts. And again, he was kind of, uh, he pushed me on the mileage side, but he was also very, very much focused on those quote-unquote quality workouts, the speed workouts, and and always working on um, leg turnover even after a long run. All right, we've got to go do our strides. We've got to maintain our speed. We've got to make sure that we're not losing any of that. Um, you know, like at the end of the day, it's a race. Regardless of the distance, you've got to race. You've got to be going fast, especially at the end. Um, so he was able to kind of pull me along when it came to the total. Uh, weekly mileage, let's say, or getting out and doing a a 10 plus mile run. The first run I ever did with him was uh, a day or two before cross country camp started. That would have been my sophomore year, his freshman year. Um, I ran, I think we did a 13 mile run with um, Justin Gutierrez, I think was there. And then Josh Mark he, Josh Mark, I don't think had run that far in, I I don't know how long, I don't know how much mileage he was doing, but he had already, you know, he had already graduated years before and he, he just like jumped in and we went for a 13 mile loop all through, uh, John Bryan and all over the place. And I did not think that I was going to be able to do that because probably the longest run I had done up until that point was 10 miles. Um, and so, but, I knew that he was coming in, he was going to be number one. And if I wanted to get better, then I got to keep up. So, um, yeah. So that kind of changed my perspective a little bit on, on, uh, appreciating the, the quality that comes from quantity. So, but yeah, that's, that's just kind of a little bit of a side. So, um, um, talk to me, I guess, a little bit more about your general philosophy of coaching with regards to um, what are the things that you keep the same year after year after year? And what are some of the things that you've implemented and tried and figured out maybe this doesn't work? And so you've kind of removed it from the toolbox, let's say.
1: Well, huh. I I think at the foundation of everything, I think it still stays with the distance. Mm -hmm. We're at a a phase right now with everybody where even with all of this uh, coronavirus, we were done with school the middle of March. And I mentioned to everybody, I said, you can take a little time off. I said, what it basically does is if you take time off now, coming off of indoor, it gives you a longer opportunity to build that base going into cross country.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I still believe... That aerobically, to get yourself to that point where you get a lot of mileage, there are things that are going to happen physiologically that you cannot you cannot make up for once the season begins. Mm-hmm. And if you've got that big base and you've been able to do that and stay healthy along the way, I still think that the best chances of success are going to happen for you. So. That's going to be something I always push. And, and Brooker was a good example. I could use another couple examples as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, we just didn't push a lot with that base because like you, as much as we wanted you to run well and cross, some of the realities are, you know, if we were to do muscle biopsies and all this fun stuff with you and determine, you know what? Your better races were probably in that 3K range when mm-hmm. you were steeple chasing. Yep. 1500, 3K, and and to mm-hmm. try and think that we were going to get you to change mindsets and, you know, probably wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, and thank goodness for someone like Daniel Roberts coming along. Yep. I don't remember too many guys that, that have brought the intensity that guy brought in everything he did. Everything,
0: <laughs> honestly.
1: I mean, oh, yeah. his mindset
0: was like what can I do to get better? Like when it comes to everything, like literally everything I remember having, a. I don't remember if it was when I was talking with Judd or when I was talking with Herbert, but we, we were talking about, um, about D Rob. And I remember a conversation that I had with him and another guy on the team. I don't remember who the other guy was, but, uh, Daniel was talking about how in high school, in order to prepare himself in, in case he ever gets a side stitch or a stomach cramp, he would eat pop tarts before hard workouts to, to essentially elicit that effect. Like might as well get used to it. So I'm going to make sure that that happens. I'm going to make myself essentially have to deal with that sort of scenario. So if it ever comes up, no problem. I'm, I've already dealt with it. And hearing that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, is he for real? And yeah, when it comes to, like you said, bringing the intensity, he, he brought the intensity for sure.
1: Yeah. I'm reminded we had a two year stint of the NAI outdoor track nationals being at Fresno state. Yep. Fresno Pacific. And, uh, the first year, he wouldn't have been at the program. I can't remember how many years you had been at Fresno, but
0: uh, my freshman and sophomore year nationals were at at Fresno.
1: Okay, well, probably then would have been your first year. Daniel wasn't there. I right. remember watching the 1500 meters. Mm-hmm. There were all these guys in the 1500 that had laid down some really fast times to qualify. Mm-hmm. And as typical with the 1500, it went out in 2:18 at the 800. <laughs> And it might have been one in like a 356 or something like that when it was all done and said. I mean,
2: the people
1: that went, that, that made a hard break realizing we gotta go now, I mean, they were just trashed by the time the last 200 came around. And well, the next year Daniel was one of the top seeds going in and I made the comment to Daniel. I said, you know, just so you know, a year ago this thing went out in 218. And mm-hmm. his comment was when he looked at me, he said, I can assure you it will not be going out in two <laughs> And nice. I think that was the day that he set the score record that's still standing right now at, at 3.46. But uh, he made sure that it did not get out slow. Yep.
0: And,
1: and yep. that was that was the mindset even at workouts and practices mm-hmm. that he had that every time. And, and it really did bring everybody, bring everybody else on the team along with him
0: it brought me along that year that i went from from uh getting what uh i didn't make finals in the steeplechase my freshman year uh and then my sophomore year i was fourth so and i went from 10th to 4th on the last lap um and that year i think you put me in the uh, 400 hurdles a couple times so uh, I th- i'm sure that that helped <laughs> So that last lap, I was like, "Why is everybody going so slow? What, what's up here? They they just rang the bell and everybody's jogging. So I guess it's time to pick up the pace." So, um, yeah, that was that was a really fun year. I really enjoyed that.
1: Well, in 2017, when Daniel Mahalski won the Division Two Steeple, mm-hmm. one of the last workouts we did before the meet was 400s, we used, I think we used hurdles. I don't think we had the barriers just to be safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe we didn't use the water jump, we just used the hurdles. Mm -hmm. We did 400s and we did them at 65. Wow. And I can't remember what the recovery was. It might've been one minute, maybe 90 seconds If that. The the goal was really just to get used to running at that speed. Mm -hmm. And with 500 meters to go, he took off and he took the lead. And ended up winning the race in 8.44. Wow. And his comment after was, I really think that 400 workout was a huge help because it just gave me the confidence to run over barriers at that speed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. So the, the 400 hurdles, he, he wasn't going to be a 400 hurdle. He had the ability <laughs> to do that. Daniel was not ever going to get stuck in a 400. <laughs> 65 was... It's probably the top end. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to do a lot in the college meet.
2: Yeah.
0: I wasn't fast in the 400 hurdles either, but I'm pretty sure I still scored a point or two at the conference meet in the 400 hurdles.
1: So <laughs> that would have been um, a pretty tough double if you were also doing an eight. Those yeah. Close together. Um, I don't think I did the 800 that year.
0: Um, I think it was probably the. It was probably just the steeple, uh, the 400 hurdles, and maybe the 4x8 relay, something like that. Maybe even a leg on the 4x4, I don't remember. It uh, seemed like you were in that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a ton of 400 runners, of true 400 runners.
1: So. Well, you were a 1500 guy. You had to expect you were going to be doing a mile relay. Yep, <laughs> yep, that's true that's true i was
0: i was pretty much just an 800 runner out of out of high school so um whereas most people get uh go in i guess longer distance as they uh as they progress through high school i got shorter and shorter and shorter so i was a two two miler my freshman year and then two mile one mile my sophomore year and then one mile eight hundred my junior year and then pretty much just the 800 my senior year. So, um, and then college, I started bumping back up, going back the opposite direction. So, um, yeah, weird
1: how that works, I guess. Cedar cliff high school has provided quite the array of athletes and probably a good number of them finished college in events that they had no idea they'd be running when they were in high school. Yep. Yep. Elizabeth Piles didn't even run in high school.
0: Uh, I mean she did track, but no cross country and she phenomenal athlete, phenomenal runner. Um yeah. Macaw, Harding, little little running in college. Um, who else? Might have might have a couple coming up. Who knows? We'll
1: see. Coming up, yeah. We've had some sprinters, we've had a lot of people in the shorter things as well. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, Seth. I'll I'll remember it as soon as we check out of here. (laughs) That's that's the way my mind's going lately. (laughs) Not a good thing. I hear you.
0: So uh, you you brought up Corona, and that was one of the things that I'm really curious to hear your perspective on. I've been talking – Uh, to a lot of people about this, just, you know, how do you think this is going to affect collegiate sports going forward? And, and one thing I think that is perhaps overlooked is how does this affect recruiting? How does this affect not only like the, the competition and the training, because that, that changes things big time, but like, how do you get kids to commit to coming and running for you? If like, there's no guarantee that they're You know, like there was no track season this year. Right. So how do you how do you get kids to commit? What does that even look like?
1: Well, fortunately, right now, enrollment numbers look strong. And I I think my perspective, uh, Brian Burns had talked to me about some survey they did about incoming college freshmen Mm -hmm. and how the majority of them wanted to come to school. And I thought, well, no kidding. Who wouldn't want to come to school? For You're sure. a senior in high school. Hey, get me out of house now. Yeah, I want to be a part of a team. I want to go and do this. So I think that's been encouraging. All of our people that I've spoke with, the people in the recruiting process, uh, they were anxious to make the commitment to, you know, the, the disappointing part has obviously been the loss of the season. Mm-hmm. I think that just spurs on the athletes that much more to get started again. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think the NCAA is looking at everything that's happened and and they realize they can't afford to have a fall without sports. It would just be devastating to the organization.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: It would be devastating to a lot of schools. Um, But I think to the organization, to the NCAA, for them not to i mean it's been such a huge loss of revenue currently without that basketball tournament right and so i think the notion right now we're moving forward at cedarville with plans to start in the fall
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and whatever the ncaa does i think we'll have classes on campus but if the ncaa were to say we're not having fall sports then that would have an impact on student enrollment and I have heard people say that they may take a year off and wait for that to pass over rather than come in and not have that season to run as well or do whatever sport it is. Uh-huh. So I think the NCAA is going to look and see, you know, what can we do to make this a reality?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We we cannot afford to not have fall sports.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Financial suicide to not, not make it happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. So the recruiting, I guess, hasn't, hasn't affected you, I guess, too much, which is nice. Uh, how is it changing? Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that, uh, when, uh, when there was no outdoor season, you know, you, you basically given the runners a little instruction, Hey, take time off now and then start, start prepping for, you know, fall cross country. Um, is there any other way that that you've kind of changed your your plan and your build up for upcoming cross country or or indoor and outdoor for next year?
1: I really pushed probably more this idea of, hey, you have a great opportunity now to train. Mm. Think of a typical college season anyways, how difficult that can become when you're looking at cross country, indoor and outdoor Mm -hmm. When do you really have an opportunity to have such a large window of training time without the the idea of racing? Yeah. I mean, even road racing right now has not even been an option. Mm -hmm. And so here's this window that, that people have. And I've encouraged them. I said, take advantage of it. You don't have to go out and really hammer the miles. But if you get the miles in, you're going to benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So I promoted that a lot more, and I think the people that we've had that are coming back have been in that mindset, and even the freshmen that we left last season with were really starting to see things come together. Mm -hmm. To me, that was so disappointing because I thought we're going to really see some good things happen in the spring. We were right on the edge of that on indoor, and I I was really confident, and then it's just like shut everything down. Yep. But I think for some of them, it is motivating. They look at that as, you know, we lost an opportunity, but now we've got a chance here to do something. Mm -hmm. Most people weren't working. Classes were minimal, even with Mm -hmm. Zoom sessions. Most faculty weren't having Zoom at the normal time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so People had a lot of time. Now, Mm -hmm. whether they took advantage of that or maybe they just used the chance to, and even if they got caught up with, with rest, you know, when you think of our normal season ended, for the most part, after the first weekend of of May. And mm-hmm. then, if you were lucky enough to make it to the nationals, right now we would have been down in Texas this weekend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Trent had run 8:59 last year and was at nationals, so I had every reason to believe he was going to be back there again. Mm-hmm. We would have been down there right now. Yep. And if if he were a normal, you know, undergrad. He'd take a couple weeks off and now you're in in the middle of June.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So you're looking at a, at a shorter window of opportunity for the typical college student. But I think this hopefully has given us a good opportunity. Yeah. If
0: you, if you kind of take a step back and, and shift your perspective a little bit and leverage this time, like, uh, I qualified for nationals in track every year, which meant, you know, We'd finish right around this time, end of May, mid, middle of end of May, and then, you know, I'd have July, June, and July, and then, you know, we were middle of August. We'd ha, we'd start training camp, so I'd basically have two and a half months to try to ramp my mileage back up. Um, yeah, if I had four, five, six months to just focus on on getting some solid, consistent mileage in who knows how much more mileage I would have been able to handle during the season um you know I think about that now like maybe I could only handle 60 65 miles a week because um you know I, the shift from training for the 800 or the 1500 or the 3k steeplechase to the 8k or 10k like there's a for me that was a huge difference in in the type of training I was doing and the volume of training that I was doing and um, yeah, I think shifting your perspective and, uh, instead of being like, man, what a wasted opportunity I didn't get to run outdoor track like this, you know, this really stinks and shift your mindset to, I can leverage this to have, you know, my best training block ever for cross country or, or even to leverage that. And then, you know, cross country and indoor track and outdoor track next year. Um that could be huge, you know? So that's uh I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that too much. I was kind of just like, man, these these kids are missing out on this track season. That's got to be awful. They must feel just, you know, like so robbed of something. Um and you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, but without a coach like you telling them, "Hey, This is an opportunity like who knows what they'd be doing. Like they might be sitting on their uh, on their couch right now watching Netflix instead of, you know, hitting the pavement. So that's
1: yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. In my perfect world, these guys would be doing a whole lot more mileage. And again, for the most part, they're coming from programs where they never did that. And it's just getting their mindset to that. We mm-hmm. certainly have some great examples with alums that uh, I can always turn to, and I always do. You know, Sergio is a good example of a guy, even now. You know, when you're he, doing 120 miles a week regularly, when yeah. you back down to 60 miles a week, mm-hmm. that's, you know, our guys are taking time off and doing 30 miles a week, and then they're taking a month to get back up to 70 miles a week. hmm but if you're putting the mileage in year round, and, and this was, again, Matt Brooker was another example of that. If you're doing that year round, your easy weeks are still going to be what a lot of people, but but there's a huge advantage to that. Mm-hmm. And I was down at the Tennessee Relays one year and Erin Neas came down to run. And by that point, she had already run probably in an Olympic trials marathon, but she was doing a 1500 for just training. And I think that day she probably went like 420. And she went out to eat with us afterwards. And I remember Lydia Wong was with us. And Lydia Wong was running really well. And Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron looked over at Lydia and said, the nice thing about doing 100-mile weeks is when you cut back to 70, you feel really good. (laughs) She goes, you you feel really refreshed. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? That's a great way to look at it you know All about if context yeah. if your base mileage is always high mm-hmm. then when you cut back you know that is your rest mm-hmm. you know to be able to say yeah i'm doing 70 miles a week right now that's my rest week <laughs> but i think that's that's often the problem that many of our kids get into is, is that they take and they figure they need to have a couple weeks easy and for them if you're only doing 60 or 70 you're cutting down to 30 and that's really not, not very productive. And then you're taking too long for fear of injury to build back up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a
0: struggle, (laughs) especially for people who like me, I assumed that, uh, there was just, there's a, there's a ceiling for me mileage wise where my body just cannot handle it. If I go over that instead of, um, you know, now I understand, well, there were a lot of other variables related to that. Was I doing, you know, strength training to, to mitigate some of that stress? Was I, um, was I mitigating stress enough? Like there's a whole lot of other things related to, Um, you know, to being able to absorb that mileage, and then in turn, absorb that adaptation that, um, you know, I was just, uh, I I wasn't taking seriously. Um, So yeah, that's, that's one of those things that if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping well, if you're not resting and recovering the way, you, you know, the way you should, then yeah, trying to Trying to hit 70, 80, 90, 100 plus miles a week is it's you're going to break down. You're you're not going to be able to to handle that. So, yeah, that was I think um, Matt Brooker, when I was living in Indianapolis during my uh, right after my graduate internship with the Indiana Invaders. Um, he came through to run a road race there. Uh, and he actually, he stayed at my apartment. And, um, one thing that I really appreciated about him was he was, he was very, very keyed in to what he needed to do outside of running to maximize his running. And so, um, we stayed up, uh, I think the day after so that he could just pick my brain about like, Hey, nutrition wise, what do I need to do? Hey, what do I need to do for my soft tissue to make sure that, you know, I'm not building too much tension in certain areas. Like I'm, what if I'm having back pain? What do I do? What if I'm having this issue? And like, um, very similarly to, um, to Daniel Roberts, the intensity when it came to not just the training, but the things outside of training. And I, I was really impressed by that. I thought, man, why didn't I do that as, you know, to the same degree back when I was running? And, um, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda is a, is a game you can never win. Um, but, uh, it's interesting to think about.
1: So, yeah, that, you know, when I think about that and Matt did, it, you're right. I mean, there was never a guy spent as much time in the training room mm-hmm. and it had nothing to do with an injury. Yep. Yep. And the, the concern we always had, and I know Coach Bolander would, would try and tell me how much Matt should and shouldn't run during track season. Mm. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I tell him anyways because he's going to still go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can sit there and say, well, he can't do that much, you know, but whatever. Yeah. But Matt took and, and did all of those things well. And I think, you know, as much as I can harp on it, as much as I can talk about mileage and eating and sleep, When you get somebody on the team that others see having that degree of success and they can see what he's doing, you know, they saw him in the training room all the time, picking up stones with his toes and moving them from one container to another and just the stretching and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. When, When you get somebody doing those things, I think it carries a lot more weight than anything I can say. Now, what I've usually found is that the people that come and ask me for advice, are the ones that aren't running that fast anyways,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they do get better, but it's not at the level of where Daniel Roberts or you know the top kids were. They mm-hmm. still see improvement, but they're not the guys that can lead the way based on leading the field. Right. And when those guys start doing things, Sergio again was another one. Now, my my recollection with Sergio, people would always tell me what he was doing because he was never at practice he was always at class with engineering classes right but they would talk about these ungodly runs he would do out on his own <laughs> so he was never really around the other guys enough to have the impact that you would want it to have mhm but the stories still are there <laughs> yeah
0: for sure and he's another guy who he was he was in the Olympic trials marathon as he's well he's in four. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's insane. It blows my mind. Um yeah, when I when I look back and think about how you know, there's times where I, I was like, man, I wish I had been a little bit better out of out of high school, maybe I would have gone to a division 1 school, but the quality of runners that we had at Cedarville was not that. I mean, it, we had really really good guys and Um, you know, like whether I would have gone to a division one school or a division two school or D three school or NAI, like the nice thing about cross country and track is the courses are the same and the track is the same and you can, you can compare times. And if you're putting in the work, it kind of doesn't matter too much. Um, you can always stack times against times and, and, uh, we had plenty of guys, at Cedarville, who, um, who've run really, really elite times. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah, we, we've been very fortunate. When I look back over the years, and I think there are a few reasons why that's all kind of come together. First of all, you've got to give Coach King the credit for starting the program as he did mm-hmm. and for the commitment that he put into it with his wife, Joyce. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that we enjoy today are a result of the work that he put in Mm -hmm. and that the school was able to take the sport serious. Um, I mean, we've never had a a boatload of financial aid, but -hmm. we've always had the ability. We've always had alums that have supported the program and got us to where we needed to. And a big part of that was the commitment that Coach King made to make sure that we had the things on campus that we needed to be able to do things. So certainly that's been a huge plus. And then the school itself, when I look at the academic programs and how the school has changed over the years, I mean, I I tell people now, if it weren't for the engineering program, we would not have a good program in terms of, of running. Most of our people who came here were engineering people. Yep. And the school has built its own tradition, basically, academically and what they've done, uh, that's not anything I could ever do, you know, in terms of the reputation that the school has. And so we have had good athletes that wanted to come to Cedarville for what Cedarville has to offer. And mm-hmm. if it weren't for those things, it wouldn't matter how much money you throw at people. Yep. They're not going to come to Cedarville. So yep, that's true. long academic programs have been a huge plus for us. And mm-hmm. then we've had an administration that's also been very supportive of what we've done and that's evident by the facilities that we have. But Pete yeah. Reese, you know, without any doubt, Pete Reese has yep. been huge in all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought of, like, um, maybe it's a small thing, but h- how much of an impact has the cross-country course had in the quality of the program? Just, just to be able to have that right across the street from the university, a, a – f- just amazing cross-country course where, uh, I mean, like it, we didn't have it until I think maybe my junior year. Um, and I remember, you know, in high school, if we wanted to run on grass, uh, from the high school, (laughs) we had to, we had to drive somewhere. Like, there's, there's no place where we could just go and run on grass uh, relatively easily. So we did a ton of running just on on the pavement or on the concrete. Or we'd run to the Indian Mound or we'd run to um, uh, some place like that. We'd have to drive to the gorge. We'd have to drive to John Bryan. We'd have to drive to um, to somewhere if we wanted to get off the roads. And to have that right across the street, I mean, that's that's got to be uh, – you know, uh, a somewhat significant, uh, modality, I guess, to have with regards to your ability to train and then potentially recruit.
1: So, yeah. Not, not driving out to John Bryan like we did. Yep. there was basically 20 minutes to half an hour of downtime mm-hmm. that made getting people into vans, driving out there. Once you finish getting them back in and hauling the things out there that you needed, Yep. Uh, It's been huge for us now to have that uh, grass on the course. Mm -hmm. It's just been so much better on our legs. And I know a lot of people would sit and tell you, well, I don't want to, you know, it's about 100 acres out there. And they say, well, I don't want to keep doing the loops on the course and different things. Hey, Ben Tuttle did loops on the course. Ben Tuttle, you know, ran 29.47 on the track. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't all that bad himself either. And uh, it's a mindset, again, that what's going to be the best thing for me in my training? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I could, I could find a great scenic course on the roads that might damage my legs after 15 miles, or I can spend an hour and a half, two hours on a grass course and get a whole lot more out of it without the risk. So the, the course has mm-hmm. been phenomenal. And the fact that, you know, with the meets we put on now, and particularly the district meets that come there, there's so much more exposure to campus right. for these high school kids. And I don't know how many people have actually come as a result of that, but at least what it's done is given us more visibility to people that would be serious about running for a program that it's had a little bit of success.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. That's true. Um, I, for some reason, it just popped into my mind. Uh, one of the, the one of the uh, I guess, outcomes of you going to uh, Miami of Ohio for grad school is um, for a few years we got to go out during uh, during cross country camp before school started, we got to train with those guys and we got to uh, do some workouts with them, and then later <laughs> in the season we actually got to race there, and uh, I, I was thought that was you know and then during track we get race there as well but i thought that was one of the cool. it's extremely competitive but it's also very very tight-knit and everybody um we understand that we all get better if we're if we're pushing each other and training with each other and so um i just wanted to bring that up as as you know something that I really appreciated. It was always fun to do to go, you know, to, to Oxford and to be able to run with these Division One guys and and mix it up with them and then um, get a giant pizza afterwards. Like those that pizza that we got. I mean, it was just it fed the whole team. Um, it was fantastic. So uh, that just popped into my head as you know one of my one of my favorite memories from cross country is just being able to to go and do that one of the one of the things that you know bugged me at the time was we'd show up and we'd be running with with the Miami guys and they'd all be you know they were allowed to take off their shirts but because we were Cedarville we weren't allowed to take off our shirts we were running in the sun it's hot it's you know it's August in Ohio and it's humid and
1: had to wear our shirts because you know because we're Cedarville (laughs) Yeah, well, it's funny you, you bring all that up. And again, just a lot of things we can't do that the NCA won't let us do. And it's not a huge mm. deal. Going down to Miami was always a lot of fun. But, yeah. uh, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, debating if you'd run a little faster, maybe going to Division One, And we get mm. a lot of kids like you. Uh, we don't get many like Daniel Roberts. We get very few mm. like Daniel Roberts. Yeah. But a lot of kids that are fast enough that could go and run at a division one school. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I think this mindset is all of a sudden you come to Cedarville. And back when we were in the NAIA, there's some notion about, well, it's a church based, you know, small college. And so the expectations aren't that high. And I guess what I wanted to do early on there was get you guys realizing, Hey, you could have been at division one schools. Mm -hmm. You need to have that expectation that this is where you belong and that you're training. You know, you can run with these people and the expectation that you can race with these people. And so that was, you know, we still talk about that today. I said, it's not the name on your uniform. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got enough personal pride from your own background. You know, hopefully you just realize it doesn't matter, you know, if somebody's wearing an Ohio State jersey or not. Yeah, maybe they've got a faster time. But you've got to set that expectation level that why can't I get better? Yep. And that, that, that really gets back. You know, we talk about what do I try and do to, to bring all these guys together, um, helping me be the best they can be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I'm an optimistic guy when we work with them. You know, we got guys that you would like to think they would have this notion. I'm coming here to try and get better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if they do that, you know, that's the fun part watching that happen mm-hmm. watching you place in the steeplechase mm mm-hmm. what a thrill yeah yeah you know, what a thrill watching those things happen yep
0: that and was a that was a good year I actually
1: I won uh, at
0: at Miami of Ohio mm-hmm. earlier that year and I was that was huge for me because I was like I'm running against Division one steeplechase runners who've qualified for nationals in division one and I just beat everyone. That was like such a, uh, that was a powerful moment for me because that, you know, that gave me some, some confidence going into, uh, NAIA nationals. And, uh, yeah, that was huge. Another one, uh, I won that same year. I think we went down to Baylor. We, we got on a bus and drove down to Baylor which was another huge division one meet. And I won the steeplechase there too. And so it was, um, like you said, like you don't have to, you don't have to go to, to a division one school to run at a super elite level. And so, um, yeah, a lot of that was, was that reinforced coaching every day. Hey, we, we got to put in the work and, having really good training partners like Judd and like Daniel Roberts. And, um, yeah, when everybody buys in and they're not trying to fight each other to to be the most important one on the team, but everybody's pushing each other to to get faster,
1: you end up with some really
0: good things. So,
1: Well, I'd have to throw a shout-out into Jeff Bolander. Mm. Uh, you know, I was 10 years as, as the men's and women's, track coach and so i knew when he took over what the budget was and all those good things and and i've said even to this day you know i don't know where he gets some of the money from to do some of the things we do Mm -hmm. i don't question because i've been the beneficiary of a lot of these nice trips when he sent me out to california and and we've been able to do some of those and a lot of that is this idea again that You know, we want to bring people in. We want them to get better. And as they get better, we're going to give them the chance to run against the best competition we can put them in. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things, you know, when he took you guys down to Baylor. I think I I took Daniel Roberts to Wittenberg that weekend or something like that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, giving you guys the chance to to run good competition. And that's what we've really tried to do is is put you in an environment, you know, Mm -hmm. get you ready for it, put you in that environment and give you the chance. And that's all you can really ask as an athlete. Give me a chance to run. Mm-hmm. That's it. So. Yeah. That was that meet at Baylor.
0: Like the, we got to see, uh, Sonia Richards, Ross, she was training there. We got to see Jeremy Warner. We got to see all these other amazing 400 runners and sprint athletes. Uh, I think at the time the Chinese national sprint team was getting coached there from, uh, uh, Clyde Hart so like we got to see some amazing stuff there and that was you know that was huge that was amazing that was really good memories and that was my you know being able to see that that was one reason why I wanted to go to grad school at Baylor and you know that's essentially that's why I'm still here in Texas so that was very very uh formative for me um and kind of setting up you know what I'm doing now which is, which is incredible. So, um, and this is such a fun conversation coach to bring back all these memories. So um, for anybody, you know, watching and listening, what are some, what are some practical takeaway uh, applicable steps that really anyone can do to improve their aerobic base or,
1: or uh, running performance? I'm going to get back to the, the idea, just get mileage in, you know, I think people think there's something special about a particular workout or or something else. But, uh, you know, one of the, one of the best books I read a number of years ago, Dr. April Cromit gave me this book, lactate threshold training. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly geared and used a lot of research on cyclists. Mm -hmm. And I had, I still, every summer, like to turn the TV on and watch the Tour de France. What a phenomenal group of athletes. Yeah. And when you think of what they do for three weeks, but they do that every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not something that all of a sudden they're riding enormous amounts of mileage. And and they'll talk about their off day. And one of their off days, they'll all get together for a hundred mile easy ride. <laughs> wow. And it's this notion that you've you've stepped your body up to a level where it just becomes normal.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And if you go out every day and all you've been doing is 20 miles a week and you start doing 30 miles a week, there doesn't have to be anything fast. Now, eventually, those things have to happen as well. Mm -hmm. But as you just start going out and doing more regularly, the adaptation that takes place with your body, Mm -hmm. you're going to see a benefit from that. And, and that's that's the real thing. Like I said, when I was in high school and started it off, we just started doing more mileage. I was doing, you know, I was a, the rarity of a guy who was pre-sophomore in high school And I was a young sophomore. I was 15 years old all through my sophomore year and basically, uh, you know, doing anywhere from 60 to 70 miles a week. Wow. And, you know dropped my two-mile from my freshman year from a 10.26 to a 9.46. Mm-hmm. And that was basically a result of just doing more mileage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, other things happened along the way, and you understand all that as far as you know, the different types of workouts. But, yeah, it, it wouldn't have happened without the mileage base. I'm, I'm convinced of that. Right. Gotcha. Well, for some people, that's uh, that's a
0: tough pill to swallow. but. <laughs> <laughs> But for the people who, who want to get better, like I think you've got to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to, to – got to put more mileage in. You've got to put more time under tension in. And uh, the, the fun uh, or super memorable, super intense training sessions, uh, you get more of those or you can, you can absorb more from that. If you've got that solid base underneath your belt, like you've you've got to you've got to have that solid base. Like, um, I think it's pretty cliche, but, you know, um, the idea that like the you you want to peak really high you want to have a really, really solid end of the season performance, then the wider your base, the wider your foundation, you know, the taller you can build that pyramid. And uh, you can't really argue with that.
2: Like,
0: you don't want to be able to to be there at the end of the season, then you've got to have that solid foundation built from from as far out as you can. So, yeah, that's good stuff. So, let's say somebody's watching this and they're in high school and they've got an interest in uh, in Cedarville, or somebody has a question for you, or somebody wants to be able to to follow the team? How, how do they go about either reaching out to you or, uh, or following the team?
1: We probably need to do a little better job with our social media and that's, <laughs> that's on me. <clears throat> we have Given over on occasion access to the, uh, there's a Facebook account. I guess I'm the one who's supposed to be doing the Twitter and that mm. just really hasn't happened, but, uh, <laughs> You know, it's a new year and with the new year, we all have these new ambitions. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll make that another goal here to to get going with that. But uh, always our face or not our Facebook, but our just our university website page mm-hmm. That page always puts a uh, link to all the results from the meets we're at. Mm-hmm. So people can see that occasionally there might be some video clips. My email is a part of that. And so if anybody wants to just drop me an email, have questions, they can do that. But yeah, hopefully the Facebook and, and some of the website stuff at least gives a little bit of information. Gotcha.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll include a link to that uh, down in the show description so anybody can can check out the cross country page and, and track page and, and take a look at the roster and take a look at. I assume there's like a recruiting uh, form that they can. They can access from from the athletics website
1: there. There may be links to all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we get a lot of forms that are sent to us, mm-hmm. but I would encourage anybody that would be listening that's got an interest just to send me an email, because a lot of times those forms go to admissions. And by the time admissions gets them to me, it, it won't be as quick as what that email would be. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Already. And then uh, to kind of close things out, uh, could you share with us a piece of advice or a quote or an important story or a piece of information that you think um, is necessary for everyone watching or listening
1: uh, to hear? Well, hopefully you love what you're doing. (laughs) You know, I, I look at it. You hear these old sayings. People say, if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I still have to go in and teach. So I guess that's a little bit of work, (laughs) (laughs) but, but the coaching part, uh, you know, like I said, it's been so much fun and we've had so many people that have come in without any idea of what to expect. And we've just taken people where they're at and just said, you know, expand your horizons, expand, what you understand right now be receptive to doing more and, and hopefully expect that, you know, you can get better. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Marsh, always a classic example of a guy that came in and, and just did more than you would ever have expected. You know, mm-hmm. the number of national championships that guy's qualified for. Yep. Um, but again, it was because, you know, he wanted to do better
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and, that's what I would say. Have fun with it. Be passionate about it mm-hmm. and set your goals high. Most yeah. people don't hit goals because they don't set the goals. They don't mm-hmm. work toward those goals. And I think if you can get outside this, this mindset of where you are, and you know, sometimes I, in, in a negative way, I use the, the Cedar cliff idea, you know, when you came from doing 25, 30 miles a week, you've got to get outside of that mindset in anything that you do. And yep. if you could do that and do that with passion, there's so much out there waiting for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That, that reminds me of another quote. Uh, what got you here won't get you there. Like if you're stuck in, in doing the same thing that you've been doing before, but you've got a goal to, to, you know, to exceed what you're doing right now, you're going to have to, you're going to have to change things. Like you, you've got to be willing to, to do, uh, to do more, to do something different, to do, uh, to do all those little things that maybe only add up to 1%, but you know, at the end of the race, that that extra 1% is going to be the difference between, um, being winning or being on the podium and, you know, finishing, you know, finishing last, Like, oh, you finished last in finals. That's good. But you could have been on the podium if you had been doing a little bit more of this or done a little bit more mileage, you know, four months ago, whatever the
1: case may be. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's really important. Like, Well, and and the bottom line, too, is, you know, we've been fortunate. We had Carson and Daniel with us for a few years and, and boy, they just lit it up. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them, and I've told them to their face on a number of occasions. I said, you don't realize how blessed you are. I said, God has blessed you with a unique ability to do what you do. And you work very hard, but I'm not going to sit here and say you work harder than everybody else, because there Mm -hmm. are some people that work pretty hard, and they're not even remotely at your level. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I said, but you have been blessed, and you can't just take that for granted. God gives each person certain skills and abilities, and this is what you've been given. I said, but we've got people that I'll tell them, you know, get a hundred mile a weekend. And maybe that person's not one of the top runners. I I tell them, though, you will learn more about yourself through that process, regardless what happens with your performance. Mm -hmm. There are going to be certain things that happen when you go through the trials and you put the work in. There's something to be learned from that process and that's worth more sometimes than what you gain from it physically.
2: Mm.
0: Isn't that the
1: truth? (laughs) You learn, I think doing
0: something like that puts a lot of other things in life into perspective. Like when you can deal with, uh, with the level of, of physical stress that a super high mileage week puts you through You understand what's important in life. You understand what's a priority to you. You understand, uh, I'm not going to waste my time worrying about about this situation. This is not a priority. What's important is my relationships with my teammates. What's important is my relationships with with my friends and family. It's, you know, uh, I need to focus on school. I need to focus on the things that are going to keep me healthy. I don't need to worry about, you know, this other thing that's really in the grand scheme of things, it's not important. And when you're, when you're focused on achieving a goal, I think it helps put everything else in life into perspective.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. That's huge. Anyway, coach, thank you again for taking the time to do this. This has been my pleasure. It's been an absolute blast. It's brought up a lot of, a lot of old memories, a lot of fond memories, a lot of really fun times, a lot of times where, uh, yeah it's just stuff I haven't thought about in years and so that's that has been a lot of uh it's been a lot of fun so um best of luck to you and the team this upcoming uh cross-country season um and yeah keep uh keep up the great work and yeah that's pretty much it thanks again I really appreciate all it you. coach all right best wishes thank you already all thanks for watching and listening and tune in
2: next week for the next episode. Adios.